know. We need a hit, so here I go. Ball one. Ball two. Strike one. Strike two. Yell at our Yeah! A case of Wheaties. Jim Morissette tells us it was summer 1994 at an antique shop in some rural area near Michigan's Thumb. I experienced an event that sticks with me to this day. An avid baseball card collector at the time, I used to tag along with family to these shops now and then with hopes of finding something unique to add to my collection. After entering this shop, I wandered away as usual, and near the back, littered with old toys and games, I heard the crackle of a record with a joyful woman's voice. And there was just something about that woman's voice with that crackle in the background that inspired me. There was also the word DiMaggio, which was a name I recognized immediately. But admittedly, I was not locked into the rest of the lyrics. Honestly, I just liked the tune. It sounded pretty cool for an old song. Plus, I had a short attention span. Flash forward nearly 20 years, I've come to appreciate both the history and the words in this iconic song recorded decades ago. On August 8, 1941, roughly four months before Imperial Japan's grisly attack on Pearl Harbor, band leader Les Brown and his orchestra stepped into the studio to record what would become one of history's most popular baseball songs. This song which still manages to stick in one's head even today, was called Jolton Joe DiMaggio. This song, which chronicled DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak, was co-written by New York disc jockey Alan Courtney and songwriter-turned-minister Ben Homer, sung by Betty Bonney. DiMaggio's tribute debuted on the U.S. Marine Corps' birthday, November 10th. Played incessantly on old wooden radios and record players, this song climbed as high as number 16 on the music charts. Even today, I still cannot help but smile when I hear Jolton Joe. It's a song that seems to unite baseball fans regardless of what team they root for. More important, it's a song that must never be forgotten. Words of Jim Morissette in an essay titled Joe DiMaggio, 1941 song, still a hit with baseball fans on bleacherreport.com. Morissette would like us to remember the song, but many of us would also like to remember the band and the band leader, Les Brown and his orchestra, eventually his band of renown. In that regard, here's the way Les Brown was remembered at his passing on January 4th, 2001, 
by the Los Angeles Times. L.A. Times staff writer John Thurber tells us music would be a way out of the drudgery of his father's bakery in a small Pennsylvania town, a young Les Brown once hoped. It became his ticket to the top of the entertainment world, in fact. Brown, who died of lung cancer in his Los Angeles home at the age of 88, and his band of renown, made the hit parade in the 1940s with tunes like Jolt and Joe DiMaggio, Sentimental Journey, and I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. The longtime band leader for comedian Bob Hope, Brown was a fixture on radio, television, and in concerts for nearly six decades. As recently as five months before he died, he was still touring with his group, playing about 60 concert dates a year. When Brown didn't lead the band, his son Les Jr. did. The world has lost a great musician, Bob Hope said in a statement. I've lost my music man, my side man, my straight man, and a special friend. Dolores and I will miss him so much, so very much. Singer and actress Doris Day, who recorded Sentimental Journey with Les Brown in 1945, said that she loved Les very much. I'm going to miss his phone calls. The happiest times in my life were the days when I was traveling with Les and his band. The band played on the opening day at Disneyland in 1955 and performed there annually into the 1990s as part of the theme park summer big band series. Lester Raymond Brown was born in Reinerton, PA. His father made his living as a baker, but also played the soprano saxophone and was the town bandmaster. Brown and his three brothers learned music at home, Brown playing saxophone and later clarinet. Music to me was a way out of the bakery, Brown told a reporter for the San Diego Union Tribune some years ago. My dad had me working before school and after school, I'd wrap the bread and clean the pans and turn the doughnuts. He received his formal music training first at the Ithaca Conservatory of Music in upstate New York, then at Duke University, where he also led his first dance band, the Duke Blue Devils. After the Blue Devils broke up in 1936, Brown moved to New York and found work as an arranger. But an official of R.C. Victor Records saw promise in Brown and helped him gather a band to play at a local hotel named Les Brown's Orchestra. Its name changed in 1942 thanks to an ad-libbing radio announcer. We were doing a remote broadcast and one night an announcer said, out of the blue, here's Les Brown and his band of renown. Brown told the Union Tribune, my ears perked up. I like the sound of it and that's how it's been ever since. It was during the 1940s that Les Brown signed a 17-year-old singer named Doris Day. And the public loved her, Brown said. Wherever she went and whatever she sang, the public liked. In 
1947, Brown replaced Desi Arnaz as Bob Hope's musical director. With Hope, the band started on radio and moved on to television. The Brown Band provided accompaniment for 18 of Hope's Christmas tours overseas, entertaining the troops. That was very rewarding, Brown said in 1998. We got to see the world. For seven years, we went to Vietnam. Those guys needed the entertainment the most. One of the founders of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, Les Brown served as the first president of the Los Angeles chapter and helped get the first Grammy Awards programs televised by convincing Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, and Frank Sinatra to participate. All that from the obituary for Les Brown in the Los Angeles Times on January 6, 2001, prepared by staff writer John Thurber. We're about to hear firsthand from a cousin of Les Brown about his birth and the way he's remembered in his hometown here in Schuylkill County in anticipation of the annual Les Brown Big Band Festival this coming weekend. David Minnick, Les Brown's cousin, and Joel Goulden, retired music teacher from the Williams Valley Elementary School in Toward City, have been instrumental in keeping Les's legacy alive in the region. And we had a chance to talk with them by phone about their efforts and about Les himself, David Minnick. March the 14th, 1912, Les was born in my grandmother's living room. My grandmother, Edna Carl, and in Porter Township, a community called Reinerton, just above Tower City in Schuylkill County. And uh, that was the connection to our family. His father and my grandmother were sister and brother. And when Uncle Ray and Aunt Hattie married, they didn't have a home, so they went housekeeping at my grandmother's home, and that's how Les came to be born at 1944 East Grand Avenue, Reinerton. Was he always musical, David? Do you know that story? Well, his dad, Ray Brown, was. And in that area, every small little town back in the day had a community band, and R.W., his dad, had the Orwin community band, and Les played saxophone and or clarinet in that band. Later years, up into the 70s, uh, R.W. had the Tower City Community Band, which I played in, played sousaphone in that band, but Les got his start playing in those community band concerts back in the Valley, back when he was a young man, and then went on to Ithaca and military school and uh, got his training there. And so we turn to you, Joel, and say, what happened then? Well, my involvement in it, 1980, I went to uh, Williams Valley. I was employed as the elementary band director. And I got there, and I discovered that, lo and behold, that was the, the town, Reinerton, which is kind of Tower City, was the town where Les Brown was born. Of course, growing up in the 60s, I, I knew who Les Brown's band was from, not the USO shows at that time, but from Bob Hope specials. They always... Bob Hope, you know, he was Bob Hope's in-house band. So whenever you watch the Bob Hope special, and with Les Brown and his band ran out, they show Les give a wave. So I thought this was really kind of cool and uh, was disappointed that it didn't seem like anybody else in the town. They were just kind of like, yeah, okay, so it was where Les Brown was born. And um, so I kind of went with that. However, when David and his sister had the efforts of getting the home registered with the Pennsylvania Historical Society, and they had the dedication, then I thought, hey, you know, a lot of people came out for it, so people are interested in this. And the high school used to have what was known as the Southern Anthracite 
Jazz Festival, which went for, I think, about seven years and then kind of petered out. So I thought, why can't we resurrect some kind of a big band jazz festival in Les's name, emphasizing his, his legacy with the connection with the town. And so that's being an elementary band director, I thought it was important. And, and I always loved history. I thought it was important for the children to know exactly the children that were born in that town, what their musical heritage was. Because to me, it was a, it was a big deal. So that's, that's how the festival got started and started small, just with the elementary band and the alumni band, jazz band playing. And then we got the high school band and a couple other bands in. And I said, if we want to do this right, I can't do this by myself. And I got a committee together. I yelled to David, let's get a committee together. And he was all for it. And that's where it took off from there about, I don't know what, David, we missed two years for COVID. So I guess it was 17 years ago. The dedication of the house and the historical marker in front of Grandmother's house was 2006. It started right after that. The next year, you had the first jazz group, and we went from there. David, let me ask you about the dedication and the marker. How did that process unfold? First of all, nothing could be done until Senior, that Senior had passed away, which he did in 2001. I made an application out with the Pennsylvania Historical Society, and uh, it was quite an arduous job. It took it was a two-year process, and uh, it had to be voted on by 17 individuals in the Harrisburg area. And uh, once they gave the approval, then I had to get an organization in the community to sponsor it, which I got Rotary there, Tower City Port of Rotary, to sponsor. Then we had to get the permission from the Greens, who owned and still own the house where Grandmother lived. And interesting part about the house, we found out it was built by my grandfather, who was a stonemason in 1906. And he bought the land from Charlemagne Tower, who was the founder of Tower City. And uh, they raised their family there. And an interesting fact that we have with the house and, and the birth of Les. When Les was born on March the 14th in 1912, my grandmother had just had a baby six months before that. And when Les was born, Aunt Hattie, his mother, for some reason couldn't feed him. And my grandmother was still nursing her baby, so she gave Les Brown his first couple meals. So we decided to do this dedication, and I got my cousins and aunts and uncles and all who were alive, a lot of Browns from Ohio and all the relatives, we all chipped in to financially make this happen because we had the Tremont Community Band at the house to play, and we had a big band play at the high school after the dedication at the house, and we had a dinner afterward, and Les Jr. came and unveiled the historical marker on March the 14th, 2006. So we had a lot of community dedication and, and participation. Uh, a number of the community businesses chipped in to help with the expense. And, of course, the Tower City Port of Rotary, all the money went into them, and they paid all the bills for us. So it was, so we got all that lined up. It, it took two years, and, and the township, the Porter Township, the crew from that organization actually did the digging and the putting in of the marker into the ground at the grandmother's house. Joel, if people say they know Les Brown, how about naming some of the tunes that have been associated with Les Brown over the years? What would we know? Well, one you might not know, but was 
was probably the one that gave him his first big break was Jolton Joe DiMaggio, which commemorated uh, Joe breaking the the record for the hitting streak. I forget how many times up to bat that uh, you know he he hit at least had a had base hit. They came up with with that song, and that was actually I think his big the big first one that, that put him on on the the, the map. Then of course uh, everybody knows Sentimental Journey, which. Actually, they recorded, I believe it was two years before it was released, during the war, uh, World War II. But what happened was there was a musician union strike, which halted records being, being published or being cut. So it just so happened that the strike was over when so was the war, and that became like the theme song of the GIs coming home from World War II, which really... That, that skyrocketed them to their their first number one. Their second number one was I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm, which Lesson and the band did as an instrumental, but it, it does have lyrics, as a lot of people have, have heard the, the version with lyrics. That's not the one that, that the band originally recorded. So those are probably the, the three biggies. Around the holidays, you'll hear his version of the Nutcracker Suite, which is a jazz version in, I think, maybe like four or five parts. It's not the entire Nutcracker Suite, but that's his big holiday song, though. He did write uh, an original holiday tune, which is uh, not heard real well, and he, they even had a, a New Year's tune that they recorded. They did a lot of a lot of covers of stuff that you would know from other bands from Benny Goodman and Glenn Miller, but then, of course, it was their own arrangement, so... Uh, you'd hear a different spin on, uh, you could tell that this is Les's version as opposed to Miller's or, or Goodman's or whoever, you know, whomever might have made it popular. And Les, of course, holds the record for the world's record, Guinness Book of World's record, for being the big band leader who led a big band continuously for over 60 years. Most of the other bands had folded by then, and, and he said the, the only way that he could keep it going, because it is a costly operation, is he, he gave a lot of credit to Bob Hope, because whenever Hope needed something done, that was the band he went went toward. Even after Hope uh, was finished with his TV specials and the USO shows, uh, there was stuff going on. Hope would have galas and different things going on, either at his place or somewhere out there, you know, in California. And Les and the, and the band were the ones that, of course, that he, he went to, because not only was Les employed by Hope, but I think they were pretty good friends, too. Hope treated them very well, very well. As well as Dean Martin, he played for the Dean Martin Show. And he also played was the first house band for The Tonight Show before Johnny Carson was on. That was Steve Allen at that time. What would you say characterized Les Brown's sound? What terms might you use? Well, he I don't think was much of a, as, as big of a jazz band as it was just the big band sound. Of the, of the era, which was very popular back in the Glenn Miller days, and the Dorsey Boys, who were also from Schuylkill County. But he was a saxophonist. And uh, a lot of his arrangements, if I'm not wrong here, Joel, featured the, the sax sections and might have been a more of a, of a greater saxophone tone. Yeah, what, what David's saying, I go with completely. Although, as people are looking more and more at the band in retrospect, they realized that uh, he, he wasn't regarded as a, a a great jazz band, a big band, yeah, but not jazz band. But they look back and they realize the personnel that he had playing in his band were unbelievable jazz artists who went on. One of the the guys that we had come in uh, twice for the festival, Dave Pell, 
when he split with Les, and actually uh, that was on not very favorable terms because when he left, actually he took a, a couple of other guys with him, which did not go over well with Les. And I, I don't think they were on very good speaking terms after that. But Dave went and started the Pacific Pacific Coast Jazz Movement. At that time, he had a trumpeter, Don Fagerquist, who was regarded as one of the, the top-notch trumpet players. In the, the late 40s, he had a tenor sax player before Dave fell. Dave was also a tenor sax. Before Dave, he had Ted Nash, who was an unbelievable woodwinds man on anything from, from flute to uh, to bass clarinet, piccolo to bass clarinet, I should say, he ranged. And, and, you know, these were guys that just kind of sat in the band and played, but then when they went to solo, you knew who they were. They, they were, like I said, they were fantastic jazz players that would solo. But no, Dave's right, he, he was not regarded as a jazz band, kind of like when, when Benny Goodman took off and, and had his septet and things like that. You gave us the history of how the festival came about Tell us what you have planned for us this year. Well, this is actually, yeah, we missed two years because of COVID. So this is actually only the 15th, even though it's, uh, I believe, uh, 17 years since we started it. And we do try to focus on, like, one year we had Stumpy come in. Stumpy, which is his youngest brother, who played bass trombone in the band for over 50 years. Who is still alive. Yes. We uh, we had a, a, a salute to Stumpy. Well, that was the year we went to just Tower City, that would be. And we had them change since Stumpy did not know what house he was born in. He knew what block. So if you go to Tower Cities, there's actually a sign on the east end and the west end of one of the, the blocks there that says uh, that you're now entering Stumpy Brown Block. So he got a whole block dedicated to him as opposed to less. We just has the one house. But uh, alongside the house, we should say also we, we asked, I guess, the town council of Reinerton would be, if they would change the name of the road alongside the house from, I believe at that time it was Gray Avenue or something, or Gray Road, I think it was, and they changed it to Les Brown Lane. So for anybody that goes to, to the house, they can look right there at the corner of the house. There's uh, is the signpost also where the name got changed. We did have one time when it was uh, we celebrated the centennial, what would have been Les's 100th birthday. And that was, I would think that was probably our biggest celebration. We went all out and broke the bank on that one. Had three former members of the band are now flown in from California, along with Les Jr. was there. And uh, Les's daughter, Denny, she came in, as well as her, her son, who is Jeff Swampy Marsh, who is the co-creator of Phineas and Ferb cartoon on, on Disney. So that was that was a really big big one where we had there. We did a, a show, a USO show, the one time where we had Bob Hope impersonator come in from Arizona. I think it was back in 2017, maybe, where we had a Dean Martin impersonator from Vegas come in. So yeah, every year we try to highlight something. This year actually is the 60th anniversary of the Nutty Professor, the Jerry Lewis movie in which at the prom scene, Les and the band is playing at the prom, at the high school prom, and Les does have some lines in it, and they get to play a couple of tunes, one of which is, is Leapfrog, that Jerry Lewis does this, this crazy little kind of a, a impromptu dance to.
that's our, our little highlight this year. Unfortunately, with the passing of Les Jr., we no longer have him to come in and be one of the highlights of the festival. He used to, there weren't too many festivals that he missed, and uh, many of them he was our our MC, just as you were, Erica. I think you were at one of our early festivals. That's right. And Les Jr. really got into the spirit of the event, and it was so good for the young student musicians to meet him. But this year, we're not really going to have the festival at the high school. It's going to be the Nutty Professor movie is going to be shown on the 28th at the Pine Grove Movie Theater. And then is the big band dance on the 29th at the Howard City Legion followed by a community service on Sunday to close out the weekend. People can count on being able to dance, and that's great. Exactly. The dance is going to be from 6 to 9 on the 29th at the Tower City Legion with the M&J Big Band out of Pottsville. Now, they've been very popular, and the dance has been growing in popularity over the years, and we've been getting some really nice crowds in, and everybody's welcome. And uh, I understand by the Legion there will be food sold, the kitchen will be open, and there'll be some light refreshments there, a cash bar. So everyone is welcome to come out, and especially those who love big band music and have a, a night of big band music. I, I was just going to say, Eric, you know, that's one of the things that a lot of people don't remember, that this is not just music sit there and listen to. The, the music was written and intended to be danced to. It's not the type of music that you just kind of sit around. Of course, you can sit and listen to it, but the main reason for that was for for dancing. And I love the fact, Joel, that you're really concerned about education. You talk about your school work and bringing the young bands out. And I remember when attending the festival, how impressive it was to see the young people really not just, oh, do I have to be here, really wanting to play and doing their best. Right. One of the things I love the most, and I need to blow Joel's horn here, is he always had a trivia contest to start out the festival. It was a few weeks before the festival at the elementary school, and he would have these kids study up on facts of Les Brown. And then it was like a spelling bee. They would be presented a question. If they got the answer right, they stayed up. If not, they sat down. But Joel always impressed on his students that Les Brown walked these very same streets as you walked and lived here and grew up here and went to be somebody in the music world. And you have that same potential. And I always admired that, that that was impressed on these kids, that they can do the same thing if they apply themselves. Yeah, thanks there for pointing that out, David. As an educator, and I think as all educators do, we we want our students to become the best that they can be, no matter what that means, the best that whatever they enjoy enjoy doing, and to have a a rewarding and fulfilled life. And through Les's example and the the band, I always stress with the children, it doesn't mean that you have to become a professional musician, but that you you end up doing something that you love, and then it's not work. It's, it's a pleasure to do for the rest of your life. And, and we did with the trivia contest. The trivia contest came out of a course that I taught third graders. Graciously, the third grade teachers would let me come into the room once a week. We had four different sections, and I'd go in once a week for about a half an hour. And I had a, uh, a course, Les Brown and his Band of Renown, that I, that I came up with. And it started out with 
a bio of Les, and then I had all the different examples, and over the years, collected a lot of different memorabilia that I could show the, the students, different albums, different artifacts we had. I mean, we even, we even have Stumpy's original uh, baritone, a lot of different things, and stuff that, that we've acquired over the years from the family also. And a lot of students, they seem to be pretty excited by it. And that would be in third grade. Then in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, if they wanted, they could get a booklet from me and they could study up and they had a little test to pass to see what their knowledge was. And if they got uh, a grade of 80 or better, and if they would like to, they could be in this trivia contest like David had told you about. It was run like a spelling bee. So there was a lot of competition. It was it was fun to, to watch. And... Uh, they were rewarded with a monetary, I think they got a $50 savings bond, and then we had a, a plaque that was hung, and they got their name put up on a plaque. And there was some fierce competition between the students. Uh, I know we had one girl who won it in fourth grade, then she lost it in fifth grade, but she came back and won it again in sixth grade. So it, it was very, very fun to do. But since I, I retired six years ago, we haven't had one, but who knows, maybe Someday, one of the teachers that are up there would like to resurrect that. We'll, see. we'll have to wait and see. An interesting fact, too. Back in the day, not only did Les Brown's dad have Tower City Community Band, but he also, even though he didn't have a college degree back in the 40s and 50s, he taught in the Lycan School District and the Tower City School District. And I think in Valley View, too, he was also a teacher in those school districts. So education, always part of the picture. Well, remind us of the dates and where we can go online so that we can get the information. It is April the 28th, 29th, and 30th, and our website is lesbrownfest.org, or they can just Google Les Brown Festival, and there is a page that says 2023 Festival, and it'll all come up right there. Closing thoughts, David? It's an honor to keep on doing it, believe me. David Minnick, Les Brown's cousin, and Joel Goulden, retired music teacher from the Williams Valley Elementary School in Tower City, speaking with us about the 2023 Les Brown Big Band Festival. That's Friday, April 28th, Saturday, April 29th, and Sunday, April 30th. So Friday the 28th, the film on Friday, April 28th at 7 in the Pine Grove Theater on Tupahawken Street in Pine Grove. It's free. Then on Saturday, it's the Les Brown Festival Dance featuring the M&J Big Band 6 to 9 at Tower City American Legion Post 468 on Clarks Valley Road. Dance till you drop with three hours of music of the Big Band era. Tickets available at the door. And then Sunday, April 30, a celebration of music at 3 o'clock at St. Peter's United Church of Christ, Dietrich Avenue in Tower City, there will be music with the Golden Brass Jazz and many more. For more information on the web, lesbrownfest.org, lesbrownfest.org. April 28th, 29th, and 30th, the 2023 Les Brown Big Band Festival. And for more information on the web, lesbrownfest.org.